I hope this morning that that is the prayer of your heart. To see God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The triune God, lifted up, worshipped, and praised. He's worthy of that. He's worthy. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. I'm going to take a little break from our series in the book of James to focus this morning on a biblical vision of fatherhood. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll notice that as we begin in verse 22, that God begins to address specific members of the family. He begins to address these individuals, these groups, by their role within the family. He says, for example, in verse 22, addressing the wives. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And he gives the reason in verse 22 for this. For the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Then in, in verse 25, he addresses the husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. And then beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6, he addresses the children. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And you fathers, provoke not your children to anger or wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. 
our gracious Heavenly Father. The one who gives every good gift and every perfect gift. The one who supplies and sustains our lives. The one who has lavished us with grace and mercy. We ask you this morning, Father, to come and to walk among us and work among us in a special way. That we may feel your presence and we may hear from your your voice in your word. And we ask you today to help us to sit under your word with submissive hearts, with prayerful hearts, that we would be forever changed. Changed into the glorious image of your Son. Changed and transformed that we could bring glory and honor to you, our Creator, our Father, and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you begin to look with me at Ephesians 5 and 6 in these verses that we read together, you can see very clearly that these verses paint a picture of a family. And these verses paint a picture of the various roles within the family structure. And you can clearly see that the biblical vision of fatherhood is not a role to be taken lightly. It's not a role that is one that is to be mocked and one that is to be diminished in its, in its significance in the home and in the community. But if you turn on the television today or you look at the media in various forms or you look into the culture of American families, you see that fatherhood is taken for granted. It is mocked. It is ridiculed and it is under attack. You see, the first institution that God placed upon his planet is the institution of the family. He created man and woman and told them to be fruitful and to multiply. He instructed the husband and he instructed the wife. And one of the great tragedies of the ages is that it seems to be very clear in Scripture that Satan noticed this design of God. And he said, I'm going to destroy that. And ever since, it seems as if Satan and demon spirits, our adversaries, have had a target upon the family that God designed and created. To tear it down, to reverse its roles. And so this is a subject today that is very important. And very significant. To us who are believers. You see, because I think that this paints a very clear picture that being a dad is more than just having children. (laughs) Sometimes it's not too difficult to have children. But it's quite another thing to be a dad. It's quite another thing to live up to the biblical vision that God has given for us as men to be a man and to lead our family in such a way that it brings honor and glory to God and represents that design that he has given. You see, when he created man and woman, when he told them to multiply and began that family unit, we need to understand this morning 
that it is to display the glory of God. Why should you stay married and not get a divorce? What is the importance of that? Biblically. Most people don't know the answer to that. But the answer is in our text. Do you see it? He says this is a mystery. But I'm speaking about Christ and his church. Nevertheless let each one of you love his wife. In the manner that Christ loves his church. And wives see that you reverence your husband. But the ultimate thing that he's talking about. Is that marriage is a representation of the covenant-keeping love that God has for his, his wife, the church. And he never breaks his covenant. That's why it's so important. And the second reason that it's so important is because you are going to be raising little image bearers of God that will come forth and will take your attitudes, that will take on your... Uh, actions and disposition and beliefs most likely in the world. And so what you do as a pattern will display the glory of God or it will retract from God's glory. And so it's an important reality for us to consider this morning. Being a dad is more than just having children. And this statement is maybe more relevant than what you first might think. For example... I came across these statistics as I was studying for this message. 43% of children live without their father in America. 90% of homeless or runaway children are from fatherless homes. 90%. 71% of teenage pregnancies come from a lack of a father. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 85% of children who exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 85% of youth that are in prison grew up in a fatherless home. 85%. You see a connection there? This role that God has established in the family unit is quite possibly much more significant than what we at first glance would want to give credit for it. Fatherless boys and girls are twice as likely to drop out of high school, twice as likely to end up in jail, four times more likely to need help for emotional or behavioral problems. So it is a significant, it is an important topic that we have before us today. That is, namely, to see a biblical vision of fatherhood. Now, here's how we listen to this message today. You say, well, I'm, I'm a woman, so I'm not going to be a father. How can I listen to this? Let me give you four categories to listen today. Number one, listen prayerfully. Listen prayerfully. God, open my eyes to see glorious things in your word. Number two, listen to the biblical vision of fatherhood as something to be aspired to aspire to. So if you're a man in here today and you have children or you're a young man and it's possible that you might have children. Or if you are an older gentleman and you have children and grandchildren possibly. You need to see the biblical vision of manhood and fatherhood and aspire to attain it by the power of God's spirit in your life. 
Thirdly, listen to the vision of biblical fatherhood as something to be rejoiced over. Certainly, even if we see this among us as imperfect pictures of what it is to be a biblical dad, we should rejoice even in that imperfect picture. (laughs) Many of us today can give great honor to our dads, even though we know that they are not perfect dads. But we give them honor today because of the ways in which God has graciously blessed them to be a picture and a vision of biblical fatherhood. So we should rejoice over it and in it, this vision. And fourthly and finally, listen for the deeper, more core spiritual reality of God that is pictured in this vision of biblical fatherhood that we can prayerfully seek to reflect as disciples of Jesus Christ. In other words, what we're going to see is not just for dads, but there is a deeper, more foundational reality behind this that all of us as followers of Christ can see and want to emulate and live out in our lives. Being a biblical dad is one of the hardest roles to fill in the world. Maybe that's the reason that we see such failure in this area. Simply because the, the call is so high and so glorious that many men give up before they ever get started. You know, there's a lot of things that are a hindrance to this. Let's say, for example, that you leave here today and you want to be this kind of man. You want to be better. You want to aspire to this biblical vision of what it is to be a father according to the word of God. But if you try to change, you may find opposition. Other people may scold you and criticize you. Your family may not receive this change because they have learned to adapt and to live with you and in a certain way and pattern of life. And it becomes difficult and men are easily discouraged from this. But if this is one thing that every person in this room needs to add to your prayer life, it is to pray for our men. Pray for the absentee fathers. Pray for the men that are not in our churches this morning. And pray for the men that are raising children in this world. That they will see this biblical vision before their eyes and will desire and aspire unto it. Pray for them and support them and encourage them in this. And so as I held this out before me and studied these two This chapter 5 and chapter 6 and other passages within the word of God. I began to see this picture. And I want you to see it. It's a picture of a man. Who is a Christ like leader of his wife and children. And certainly we know from the scriptures. For example in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. We find that we are changed by beholding the glory of God. And we're being transformed into the same image. Even from glory to glory the Bible says it's by the spirit of God. The Bible tells us for example in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. That those whom God has predestined. He has predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. And so certainly today every child of God. Is to lead a life that is exemplary. And certainly if the husband is to be the head of the wife, if he's to lead his wife and children, certainly his example is very important in the home and in the church and in the community that we live in. Amen? Certainly it is. 
And so as a leader of his family, this dad has a wonderful responsibility to reflect the very character and the very nature of God and of Christ and to lead his family to the same with his very life and his teaching. And so as I pondered this in my mind and prayerfully considered it, I came up with a sentence that I want to share with you this morning. A sentence that I believe gives us a picture of this biblical vision of fatherhood. This is how it goes. Biblical dads have the responsibility to be an exhibit of God's grace. As a God enthralled man. And a servant leader of his family. I'm going to read it again. Biblical dads have the responsibility to be an exhibit of God's grace. As a God enthralled man. And as a servant leader of his family. Now I want to take that and break it down into three main parts. And hold that out for you today. So that you and I can aspire to it as men. If you're a man. So that you can pray for your husband. For your boys. So that you can help and encourage your husband. And your boys to be this kind of man and father. If God grants him that privilege. So let's take it one step at a time. Biblical dads have the responsibility to be an exhibit of God's grace. So the first thing you want to write down if you're a note taker is to be an exhibit of God's grace. And when I think about that, when I look at this in in Ephesians 5 and I see this man who is the head of his wife, who's to love and nourish and cherish her and build her up. And sacrifice himself for her beautification. When I see this man called for in chapter 6. Who is to not lead his children with, with an angry domineering type of fatherhood. But to nurture them and instruct them. Not to, not to the neglect of correction. But instruction and correction. But to do it in such a way that they're nurtured in the way of the Lord. It makes me consider this reality. What does it look like when the God of heaven in his infinite grace moves in and upon a man? What does that look like? The biblical picture of leading your wife and family to worship and serve the Lord comes primarily by the example that you set forth. And so he is to be, we are to be, A display of the grace of God. You see the grace of God. And the message of the gospel. Is not a message that we should be nice. (laughs) It's not just a message of God's love. It's more than that. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that God almighty has the power. To extend his arm of grace and mercy to sinners. And to radically transform them into beautiful pictures. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he can take your life broken, sinful, and he can transform you into a vessel of honor and light to reflect the very character and the nature of Almighty God. This is the biblical vision of fatherhood. To be an exhibit of the grace of God. What will it look like when God radically moves in and transforms a man? How will he love his, how will he relate to his wife? 
How will he raise his children differently than a man who has not been transformed? The gospel of God is the good news that sinners can be radically transformed, radically saved, radically molded in the image of Christ. So that he loves his wife as Christ loves the church. And his own life is an exhibit of what the grace of God can do. Number two. Not only is he to be a man who has the responsibility to be an exhibit of the grace of God. This happens as he is a God-enthralled man. As a God-enthralled man. Certainly one of the things that the grace of God does to a human soul is to come in and to open the blinded eyes to see the glorious picture of a great and majestic God aspiring us to move toward that glory and toward that picture of greatness in our own personal lives. And to move our families, to move our wives, to move our children in the direction of this glorious picture of a great God and a good God and a powerful God and a loving God and a merciful God who can transform our lowly selves into beautiful saints of God. To experience an ever-increasing vision of a majestic and glorious God. And one of the things you need to know whether you're a man or a woman this morning, is that your children will take on the, the, the attitude to the disposition that you have. And so if you want your children to be God-enthralled children, then you must be a God-enthralled father. You must be in awe of God, struck with the wonder and the glory and the beauty and the power and the wisdom of God, and so that you exhibit that joy that you receive from God in your own personal life, and it will draw others Into that picture, it will draw others to this great God of heaven. One of my heroes in the faith is Jonathan Edwards, a great American theologian, pastor. He he died in 1758 on the same day that my son was born, March 22nd. He was 54 years old when he died. He had contracted a fever through a smallpox inoculation that he had just a month before. And after weeks of worsening, and he he kept getting weaker and weaker, and it soon became uh, apparent to him that his death was imminent. And he spoke his last words to one of his daughters, Lucy, who was ministering to him. And this is what he said. And this is a man who, if you read his writing was a God-besotted, God-enthralled man. He, he told about the glories of heaven with such words and articulation that would draw you into the scenes of heaven. He would paint a picture with words of the horrors of hell that would make people shake in their pews. He had a way of thinking that was beyond what normal people do. And he had a way of writing that just was massive. Pictures of the glory, glorious God of heaven. And this is what he said in his last word to his daughter Lucy. As to my children, you are now to be left fatherless, which I hope will be an inducement to you all to seek a father who will never fail you.
And at first glance, that doesn't seem very profound. But you have to realize who this man is. You need to read some of his writings and hear some of his sermons. And you'll see, well, you can't hear him, but you can, you can read what he wrote. And you have to understand that this was the type of person who was always thinking deeply about God. And writing profound things about God. And when I look at this and I think about this God-besotted, God-enthralled man who lived with a glorious picture of a great God in front of his eyes all of his life once he was converted, that on on his deathbed, the last thing that he would do is to commend God to his children. To commend to them God. It wasn't the writing. It wasn't the work. It wasn't all that he did to impact intellectual America. But it was to commend to them God. In the end of his life, the greatest thing that he could commend. And the most important thing to this dying saint. Was that his children would trust in God. And so as I thought about him and thought about this biblical picture. We should use our energy and life as husbands and fathers to show our families God. To show them God. Labor to show them the glorious God of all creation. To commend to them the goodness of God. To teach and to model the joy and satisfaction in an all-sufficient God of heaven. To commend to your children the faithfulness of God in good times and in times of great trial. To exhibit a faith and a trust and a dependency upon the wisdom of God and the power of God and the faithfulness of God. So that you, in life and in death, can commend God to your children and point often and continually to the faithfulness of God in your life and in the life of your family. And to call them to faith in God. Through your prayers and the tender pleas of your lips to compel them to come and by faith personally trust in this God whom you know and walk with and love so deeply. Another one of my heroes of the faith, John G. Patton. He was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands off the coast of Scotland in 1858. And in his autobiography, he writes about the abiding impact and influence of his godly father. He talks about, for example, a, a, a small room or a closet where his father would go for prayer. This is hard for me to read because it's so amazing, this picture that he gives of his dad. And I just want to say to you guys, when we get through... Don't you want to be a dad like this? Listen, this closet where his father would go to pray after every meal. He had 11 children that knew and came to cherish and reverence the spot where he prayed and they heard him and learned profound realities about God from listening to their father's prayer. He said this. Though everything else in religion were by some unthinkable catastrophe to be swept out of memory, were blotted from my understanding. My soul would wander back to those early scenes 
and shut itself up once again in that sanctuary closet. And hearing still the echoes of those cries to God would hurl back all doubt with the victorious appeal. He walked with God. Why may not I? He goes on to say this. How much my father's prayers at this time impress me, I can never explain. Nor could any stranger understand. When on his knees and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, he poured out his whole soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen world to the service of Jesus. And for every personal and domestic need, we all felt as if in the presence of the living Savior and learned to know and love him as our divine friend. Wow. Would you want to be a dad like that? One who is a God enthralled. Man, and if I had time, I would talk about that. I was saving that. I was hoping I would, but I don't. He's a man. He's not a woman. He's a man. See, there's a difference. There is a difference. God made a man to be a man. And he made a woman to be a woman. And they have a role And it is glorious and it is beautiful. And it is a display of God. And we need each to show. He's a God enthralled man. And lastly, he's a servant leader of his family. He's a servant leader of his family. And you see, those seem to be paradoxical statements. (laughs) A servant leader of his family. But that's exactly the picture that we find in this text. It says the husband is to love his wife, even as Christ loved the church. How much did he love the church? So much that he gave his life. He submitted himself in the ultimate sense in order that he might purchase her. He would purify her, cleanse her, beautify her. He's to be a servant leader. He's to be a leader. He's to take the initiative. A leader is someone who takes someone or a group of people somewhere. We're going from here and we're going to there. Follow me. That's a leader. Someone who has influence. Someone who's able to impact others and lead them from one place to another. And I submit to you this morning that the biblical vision of a dad is that he take his children to this glorious picture of a glorious Majestic, all-powerful, all-wise, all-satisfying God of creation. Take them there. Take them there. Be enthralled with God. And take them to Him. Take them to Jesus. Take them to worship. If your family is going to kneel in prayer, men, take them there. If your family is going to come to the local church house and honor the Lord God of heaven, take them there. Lead them to God. That's what a man is, according to this book. And that's the vision that we aspire to. And that's the vision we rejoice in. And that's the vision we can pray 
for our men. Can we not? Unite in prayer. We see the statistics. And even if we didn't have them, we would know that it's true. That the disconnect of our dads from our children and our wives is killing our country. And we can pray that God will raise them up. Godly men who will take our families to God. I'll leave you with the words of Charles Spurgeon, another one of my heroes of the faith. Almost all my heroes are dead guys. <laughs> Maybe that's because so many living ones are not quite matching up. It's an urgent plea to prayer. This is what he said. My brothers, if you wish to give your children a blessing when you die, be a blessing to them while you live. If you would make your last words, like Jonathan Edwards, if you would make your last words worth hearing, let your whole life be worth seeing. Let's pray. Father, God, we are so thankful that you have not left us in the dark, but you have given us a biblical vision of what it is to be a dad. What it is to be a display of your grace and power as a God-enthralled man and servant leader of the family. Oh Lord, help us today to aspire to this vision. Grant us your amazing grace to break the power of canceled sin, to overcome our vices and our tendencies to move toward other things and lesser things. And God, I pray, praising you today for those in my life, in this church, and many others that we could name that do in some degree reflect that biblical vision. Thank you for them. Bless them. Continue to bless them to grow and to be changed into this vision. And God, I pray that you would raise up more. And God, bring the men to their wives and children. For the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.